The following is a hoop bowl presentation. What is going on? It is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Mark is back as the Los Angeles Clippers currently sit with the best record in the NBA, tied with the Los Angeles Lakers at 12 and 4 in what has been a very impressive start to the season. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago the Clippers were about to go on a stretch against some pretty poor teams and need to get results, and that is exactly what this team has done. They have won six in a row since losing to Golden State on January 8th. The most recent win, a very convincing win, over the Shea Gilgis Alexanders. The Oklahoma City Thunder, 120-106 to last night. We're going to have Justin Wilson of LA Clippers Film on to chat about that game. Look ahead to tomorrow's game against that same Shea Gilgis Alexander-led team. And also just talk about the season. What we've seen with the offense, the three-point shooting. Uh, Justin has seen the Clippers do something that's been interesting, where they're trying to get it into the paint and kicking out to an open shooter. And we'll see if this three-point shooting is sustainable because the Clippers are red hot from deep this season. It seems like whenever they're getting the chances, they're draining them. I mean, you look at that game against Oklahoma City last night, and it didn't take much for the Clippers to go and hit 10 threes. And you say, Okay, well, they didn't shoot very well. And that's the funny thing about this. The Clippers were 10 for 33 from three, which is 30%, but they still shot 51%, which shows how this team is finding a way to score all over the place, and they're getting good looks. Great ball movement all over the place. Kawhi Leonard was very aggressive, gained the line 10 times. PG got to the line six times. The Clippers as a team were 24 of 25 from the line. 96%. They missed one free throw. I mean, if you're getting to the line and you're shooting as well as the Clippers are from deep this season, they're going to be really tough to beat. And we're really seeing early on that this team is leaps and bounds better than the one from last year. I mean, you could look at the bench from last year and say the Clippers might be deeper from last year. Not the case. I mean, the Clippers have guys this season coming off the bench and Luke Kennard and Zoo and Marcus Morris, these guys know their role. And of course, you have Lou Williams, who's just a beast. And the Clippers aren't playing 11-12 deep this season. I mean, they are going with four guys off the bench, and these guys are playing heavy minutes. I mean, Kawhi played 37 in the game. The Clippers won by 14. PG played 35. They're not treating this season with kid gloves. And that's the most important part about this, is the Clippers are treating the regular season like it matters. And it didn't feel like that was the case last year. So we'll talk to Justin Wilson about how this season has gone. Before we go there, you know I've got to talk about what's going on at HoopBall. Hoop-Ball.com. First of all, fantasy draft season, of course, is over, okay? And I want you to figure out a way to get your team to first place. And so you wonder, how can I do that? Apart from the fact that you use the Brewski 150 and you had a great team, the Fantasy Pass. What is the Fantasy Pass? First of all, it's $4.99 per month, and there's no long-term commitment. So you can go one month and then cancel, but we know you're not going to cancel. And why do we think that? Because the Fantasy Pass is everything you need to dominate. Updating projections, new fantasy appraiser tools, schedule and streaming charts, so you know how many games each team has, 
So if you want to add a guy on a Monday that has four games versus a guy that's going three games, that's huge for points leagues. And it's huge in general for head-to-head and roto leagues. Pickups, drops, and of course our newest and coolest feature, the HoopBall Discord server. Exactly like Slack for those of you that don't know what Discord is. Slack is where you can go and hang out with HoopBall pros around the clock. Of course, it's Discord though. Get one-on-one help with your team. We have the tweet storms every single night in the Discord where you've got Adam King and Dan Besbris that are going game by game telling you who are the guys you want to target. You have the incredible nightly chats with pros. Everything you want and more is in this Fancy Pass. So please check it out. Head to hoop-ball.com. Click on the Fancy Pass ad just below the main media wall. And of course, we've got that bruise letter coming up. And how do you sign up? The bruise letter, first of all, our founder, Aaron Bruski writes an email newsletter filled with his most incredible fantasy nuggets, whether it's about the Sacramento Kings, which he knows well and he goes a little bit deeper on, or every single team in the NBA. He always has little nuggets on every single team, exclusive content you cannot find it anywhere else. Not on the website, not in any podcast, not going to be released on social media. It's only going to your email news box. Sign up, get it for free. Go to bit.ly, B-I-T-L-Y slash bruise letter 2021 and sign up in 10 seconds. Again, the site is bit.ly, B-I-T-L-Y slash bruise letter 2021. Aaron Bruski, straight to your inbox. Enjoy. All right, enough of me. Let's go ahead. Let's bring in Justin Wilson. Let's chat some Los Angeles Clippers basketball. All right, it's been a couple months, but I am pumped to have this guy back on. He is one of my favorite guests by a long shot. Justin Wilson, LA Clippers film, and he is now showing off his name in his Twitter profile. It now says Justin W. He's now becoming a real person that has a face (laughs) and a real name. I'm proud of you, Justin. I'm proud of you. Uh, thank you, thank you for that intro. And um, yeah, I am a real person. Um, I know, I know, some people have been wondering that. I am a real person, and little by little, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, that, but that was a great intro. You're far too kind, bro. Hey, listen, I love having you on, and you do an incredible job with everything when it comes to Clippers. You and I have been talking for a long time about the Clippers and the need to play like a playoff team during the regular season. And you and I chatted about how we want to see this team show the playoff rotations during the regular season and treat some of these regular season games like the playoffs. So when we get to the playoffs, you don't all of a sudden have guys like PG and Kawhi playing big minutes, and they hadn't done that in the regular season. You look at last night, for example, the Thunder, a game where the Clippers really had it from the start. I mean, it really did not get very close at all. And yet, Kawhi still plays 37. PG still plays 35. Are you happy with the way the minutes have gone so far and it being where PG and Kawhi aren't being treated with kid gloves anymore? I, I'm i happy. I'm happy. Um, on some nights, like last night, you kind of wish you could dial it back just because against an inferior opponent like that, that would be the game that um, those would be the games where you could kind of make up some of the minutes that you've extended them on on other games. Um, so it was kind of it was kind of unfortunate that we couldn't put them away so that we could get Kawhi and PG some rest. But on the whole, this season, as you said, they're not treating them with kid gloves. 
And I love it. Part of that is because that they came into training camp healthy. Both of them were doing two a days. Um, Kawhi is now playing back to backs. So they both seem to be incredibly healthy to start the year. That's a big reason why they're playing more minutes. But in general, I think the uh, the franchise from the top down is approaching the regular season with a bit more urgency and that leads to them playing more minutes and i think all of those things come together man and that's a good thing right in terms of the team taking the regular season seriously and not assuming that they're going to go into the playoffs and then skate through to the western conference finals because in my opinion i love seeing a team care every single game during the regular season i mean you looked at the lakers last year and that's what they did man they were blowing teams out on their way to that one seed And I think the Clippers need to do that during the regular season and show that they can keep winning and put together these long stretches where they've won now six in a row. And I said, coming into this 15 game stretch, I want them to go 11 and four against some pretty inferior teams. And they've done pretty well. They've only dropped two and they're about to go on on the road and face some mediocre teams. But I love the fact that every single night they're trying. I mean, not only is it good for the process, but just good to watch as a fan, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, when you see your favorite team um, dominating, I think the Clippers are like they went up like 20 or more in like 10 of their 16 games this year. Um, so they're, they've been dominant to start the year. And that's what you want to see, because if you look at the Lakers last year, um, the Warriors, when they were the one seed, um, champions have extended stretches of dominance in the regular season. So the regular season is very important. Like, I think. Even the Clippers last year were a little dismissive of how important the regular season is. So it's refreshing to see them actually care about the regular season. And like, no, we're going to win these games. We're going to dominate. And we are going to take this into the playoffs. Because, and I was talking about this in this Clipper group chat that I'm in. Um, There's this notion that you can just turn it on in the playoffs. And to a degree, that's true. Because you will always play harder in the playoffs. But you can try and replicate that as close as you can in the regular season. And that's great process for the playoffs. And I think Ty Lue and the team as a whole are really imploring great process right now. And you're kind of seeing that's a huge reason why they are 12 and four. They're incredibly sharp. And um, I was saying this this morning on Twitter. I think they're ahead of schedule. And why do you say that? What do you think is ahead of schedule? Well, you, so They have a brand new coaching staff, top down. No one from the coaching staff of last year is there. They've got like three, if I'm, if I'm, they got like three new rotation players. Um, They've got two new starters. Um, If you, if you think about that, the idea that they are the number one offense and are playing historically well on that end of the ball and having a top three net rating through 14, 15 games, um, It's just something that I didn't expect. I didn't expect them to click this well offensively. And if you see how they play, they play with a style, with a chemistry that looks like they've been playing together for a while and they haven't. So that that's been that's been incredible to see. And from that perspective, I think they were they've been ahead of schedule. That's the best way that I could describe it, because if they were playing this way in game 56, I would have been like, oh, this is awesome. This is what I expected. Um, but they're, they've been doing it since essentially game one and where they're making the extra pass, they're dribble driving, they're, they're collapsing the defense, drawing two, they're 
touching the paint and then spraying out for open threes. I think over 80% of the threes have been wide open this year, and a big part of that is because of how they've been able to pass the ball and generate open looks. So just especially offensively, they were the number two offense last year, and now they're number one this year with an increase in passes per game. All of this has happened within the first 15, 16 games, and that I did not expect at all, given the roster and coaching turnover. So from that perspective, I think they're way ahead of schedule. Yeah, it's been unreal to see this team put it together so quickly. And even in the first 10 games, we saw it where they were playing Ty Lubel. I mean, they were getting the open threes. They were initially getting a lot of their looks in the paint and from three. And now they're kind of putting the mid range in there as well. And it seems like this team just flows offensively. And it's really obvious that this team has an offensive identity. Whereas last year, I don't think you could say that. It seemed like it was so inconsistent. We saw a lot more ISO ball last year. And this team just has a flow to it offensively. Ralph Lawler tweeted earlier today that the Clippers need a guy that can be that third one that scores between 15 to 18 per game. And I couldn't disagree more. I don't think the Clippers need that. (laughs) They've got six guys averaging eight points or more apart from PG and Kawhi. And as long as you have that distribution where the ball is being shared and you have guys like Lou, Ibaka, Marcus Morris, Kennard that are all chipping in offensively, I don't think you need that third guy because then if you get to that third guy, the ball doesn't move as well because you're keying in on one player, whereas one night it's Batum, one night it's Zoo, one night it's Marcus Morris. I'm fine with that as long as PG and Kawhi are playing as the 1A, 1B, then the rest of the guys can get involved as the matchup fits. Do you agree? I couldn't agree more. And I saw that tweet this morning. And I, 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 Ralph, I love you, but just another one of the tweets that he's been sending out that I just have to eye roll on. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so in a salary cap based sport, right? Unless you have an anomaly like Kevin Durant's Warriors or James Harden's Brooklyn Nets, um, you don't have enough money to bring about a prominent third score that's going to also be that good come playoff time. Like, we kind of saw the Clippers have that last year. They had, like, four guys averaging 19 or more, and it failed them in the playoffs. And the history of the NBA tells you that um, to win a championship, unless unless it's those previously mentioned anomalies, it's really two elite tier one guys with the revolving door of, of third scores that can make plays and play competently. And that's what the Clippers have this year. And I think that was just a gross mistake by, uh, I'm not, not a mistake, but I just couldn't disagree more. As you said, with what Ralph said there, um, they're getting contributions from everyone. And I think, the way that they look now is the way that you would ideally want to win a championship with, you know, you've got shooting, you've got, I mean, the starting lineup is defending their asses off. Um, Ty Lue kind of changed the second unit a bit after the first 10 games and their defense is starting to catch up. And you look up, the Clippers are flirting with top 10 defensively now. And so they are imploring, the process has been so great that, 
I don't I don't even understand what Ralph actually is trying to get at. They are the best they are that they have the best record in the NBA with a historic offense to start the year. And the idea that they need a third score when they have so many guys that are contributing just doesn't pass the smell test at all. Yeah, and they've got the best offensive rating, I believe, in the NBA. So I, I mean as yes, long as they the, do. as long as the offense is flowing like this, man, you don't mess up with that. I mean, you don't mess with that. It's one of those things where you don't need to look at stats. Uh, this is one of those where you don't need to look at numbers and show, hey, they need that third guy. Look at the Lakers yesterday, last year. I believe their highest score outside of AD and LeBron was Kuzma at like 11.9 per game. So under 12, the Lakers were very good last year and everyone knew their role. And I've been saying this on this podcast for a long time and I keep bringing up the Lakers, but this Clippers team has a lot of Lakers in it this year in terms of the process and amen brother and care, amen. caring about the regular season games yep. getting everybody involved having it be different guys each night whether last year it was Caldwell Pope Kuzma Caruso everyone had their own night this year it's Batum it's Kennard it's Beverly it, it's whoever it is off the bench the Clippers just have the ability now to pass the ball and I love seeing it and this team right now the way it's structured is leaps and bounds better than what we saw last year. And I want to piggyback off what you mentioned earlier, and you said the Clippers are ahead of schedule. So I'm going to ask you a hard question. What's next? What's the next part of what this team needs to do? Um, I think they are trending in the right direction defensively, but that is an area where they're going to have to improve. Um, and, and that is somewhere that... Um, I I've honestly saw that um, that once Ty Lue kind of changed the second unit, um, he went away from that three guard lineup of Reggie Lou and Luke Kennard um, and started staggering those guys and flat out not playing Reggie. The defense has gotten drastically better. Um, I think improving defensively, continuing to make strides there. And I think they get a little too mid range happy. Um, I know that's Kawhi's thing. Um, I would love to see them, try and take a little more threes and a little less mid-rangers um the mid-range jumpers are kind of when the offense gets stagnant a bit um throughout some stretches so i think despite their great offensive rating i think that's where they can improve offensively is just cutting out the fat offensively when it comes to the mid-range jumpers um you can't cut it out completely because you have a team of paul george Kawhi leonard um, Lou Williams, they all love the mid-range jumper, and I do too. It's an essential part of a functioning offense, and it's a part of the offense that um, you're going to need come playoff time, but it is an area of improvement, and I think shooting more threes and less mid-range jumpers right now would make their offense even better, and just continuing to improve on the defensive end, which I think is more lineup-based, and Ty Lue is doing a great job with that, um, and that's one of the things that I've loved about Ty is he's already shown a willingness to make an adjustment when he sees the data and sees that things aren't working, and so, yeah, those are the two things, defense and uh, shooting more threes and a little less mid-range jumpers, those are the things that I think they could improve on as the season goes on. It's a breath of fresh air having a guy like Ty Lue who makes adjustments and sees the data. And it, it really is so strange. I mean, you and I were on Team Doc for a long time, and we, we appreciate what Doc did. And we talked about how hard it is to win in this league. But man, Ty Lue is showing that he is ready 
to be that head coach for a long time. He is showing that he knows what he's doing. He does a great job, first of all, like you said, with that 10-game stretch of analyzing what's going on, using the regular season to prepare for the playoffs, which is something we did not see with Doc Rivers. And also, you're seeing a guy that seems to really get along with his players, and you're not seeing any issues with the locker room, which is great to see. I mean, we'll see what happens in a couple of months, but it really does seem like the Clippers got rid of the players that were causing problems in that locker room. And they brought in guys like Ibaka and Batum that are great for the locker room. So I love where this team is at right now. And I want to go, you mentioned the three-point shooting. And everyone on Clippers Twitter is talking about, is this sustainable? And what's fascinating to me, and I talked about in the intro, is that the Clippers are getting, first of all, they're getting great looks. And they're still hitting like 10 threes. Look at you last night. They hit 10 threes on over 30 attempts. But despite that poor percentage, they still shot over 50% from the game, which shows how this team's ball movement is so good. But I want to talk about the three-point shooting. Do you think it's sustainable? Because the Clippers have guys that are playing out of their minds. I mean, especially Paul George and what he's doing right now from deep. Do you think it's sustainable? Well, they're shooting um, like 44% from three. Mm-hmm. That That is not sustainable. They will not shoot 44% from three. I will cash up a random Clipper fan $500 if they um, if they shoot 44% from three this year. Um, but what is sustainable is the process by which they're going by getting open threes. That is, that is sustainable. And as the season progresses, it's getting a little bit more flagrant in a great way about how they're going about it. They're playing, they're playing out of their elbow action. They're playing pick and roll with Kawhi and PG. They're getting downhill, drawing two, they're kicking out, and then they're finding open guys for three. So they'll probably regress and go through a bad stretch here and there. But the shooting, the shooting, the way they're going about getting the open threes is absolutely sustainable to me. They won't hit it at a 44% clip, but they were one of they were like top seven in the league in three point percentage last year. And the team legitimately has a ton of great shooters. So they will regress, but you know, they are playing in arenas with no fans, that, which is something that we haven't seen before. So we kind of don't have any context for that. And um, more than anything, just nobody shoots 44% from three, but they're getting wide open shots. It's kind of spursy how they're doing it. And that is absolutely sustainable. You started to bring up my next question, and I want you to get basketball nerd on me because you've been talking the last couple of days about how this is very much pop related with what he did with the Spurs and getting the ball into the paint and kicking. Explain to me and explain to people who aren't as basketball nerdy as you what the Clippers are doing to get success. Um. Well, they are they're empowering Kawhi and Paul George to make plays. And those guys, when they are playing at their best, command double teams. So whether it be from the elbow, whether it be from the post, whether it be from out up top playing pick and roll, they, when they are aggressive and playing well, they command attention, they command two. So when they are draw, when they are drawing two two defenders and then they're kicking out, that, that creates a chain reaction of sorts. So they'll kick out to Nicholas Batum and somebody has to run out of him. 
Nicholas Batum wrong foots him, goes by him. So now the defense has to chase Nicholas Batum. So now he has two people. So then he draws and kicks out to like Patrick Beverly. And that's how open threes are um, created because their best players are playing at such a high level as playmakers that they are drawing two and three defenders and then kicking out to guys who are either open for three or open enough to where they can make the defense react. And then they are the playmakers and make the, um, make the second pass. So I think what people are seeing with the Clippers in these threes is the fact that their initial playmakers are so great that they are allowing the second guy to also be really good playmakers. Like, like if Kawhi Leonard draws two, kicks it out to Nicholas Batum, Nicholas Batum becomes the playmaker because he has a defense that's chasing him. And then he sprays out to another open shooter like Luke Kennard or Patrick Beverly. So it's just their playmakers being high level right now and drawing two and three defenders and putting the defense at a huge disadvantage. Let me ask you this. What was it like on the Spurs? Who were the guys that were doing that and commanding that type of attention? Well, with the Spurs, it was like Manu Ginobili. Manu Ginobili is such a dynamic um, pick-and-roll guy. He's such a dynamic guy going downhill. Um, Tony Parker as well. And and with them, it was like Danny Green spotting up. It was Patty Mills spotting up. It was Gary Neal spotting up. Um, it was those guys surround Matt Bonner who was even getting in on the action Bonner. in San Antonio. Um, the Red Rocket. <laughs> um, but you know that that's what they were it's very similar to what they were doing and it creates a similarity and it's the same actually another 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 similarity um for the clippers as far as they look is um the cleveland cavaliers when ironically enough tyloo was there um anytime you have dynamic ball handlers surrounded by shooting it makes it very much easier to make the extra pass and that's why um while i do think tyloo has done an exceptional job he's also been given a roster that's more conducive to success whereas the clippers last year with montrez harrell and lou williams being pick and roll guys and the clippers not having a single five man um that could space you know it's doc rivers did not want to play jamichael green a lot he didn't play jamichael green enough he didn't play marcus morris at the five enough his centers were strictly montrez harold and zoo and so that led to a lot less shooting and so with this roster much like the cavaliers roster and much like the spurs roster they're getting shooting from everywhere and when defenses are that spaced out it makes for a very easy game as far as making the extra pass and get creating open shots it's interesting because it seems like doc had some of the tools at his disposal last year and it was kind of obvious where i mean you saw that jermichael green was a guy whenever he was on the floor the clippers did well and so it was kind of staring him in the face to have a guy that can shoot the three that that's his five and it never really happened enough and he didn't seem to realize it. And it took for the Clippers to get Ibaka for that to kind of become how they played. And what's interesting is, even though Ibaka is so essential to what the Clippers are now doing offensively, they don't drop a ton when Zoo is on the floor. Why do you think that is? Because Zoo is not a guy that's going to stretch the floor and be that five that can shoot threes. Well, Zoo is now playing more against second units. And... Right. um the Clippers are staggering. So 
Zoo has a Zoo was a starter last year, so you're basically getting a starting level center in the second unit, and you're pairing that with like Paul George, who plays a lot with the second unit, and um and yeah, and then what happens is Zoo is being surrounded by again shooting, right? Marcus Morris shooter, Patrick Beverly sometimes plays in the second unit shooter, Paul George shooter, you know what I mean? So, um, he is someone he kind of he's starting to regain his footing. Zoo didn't start the season particularly well, but the last couple of games, he's really starting to look like the Zoo of last year. And he's just a really good player, man. He'll protect the rim. He runs like a deer. And the best version of Zoo is also finishing plays. And that translates regardless. Like, he's going to be good. He's oftentimes the biggest guy on the floor. So he's a good player, and he's surrounded by shooting. And that's why, that's why you know, um, he he's so essential to what the Clippers are doing. And in some ways, he's better than Serge. And I kind of like the fact that the Clippers have that duality because in the playoffs, you may need more size and defense at the rim. And then you may also need floor spacing with three. So um, much like Serge, they both have a ton of gravity. With Zoo, it's his, his vertical gravity going downhill. With Serge, it's his three-pointer. But they're opposite ends of the same coin. And I think that duality is something that the Clippers really haven't enjoyed and I don't know how long, and it's going to prove vital for the playoffs, and it's one of the reasons why I'm so confident that they'll be ready in the playoffs when that moment of truth comes. Let's take a quick break from the conversation with Justin to talk about our friends over at mybookie.ag. Ever since I started this podcast, people always asking me for betting tips. I always get asked, who you got? Lakers, Clippers, Rogers, Mahomes. I'll tell you what I tell them. Where you bet is just as important as who you are betting on. That's why I tell people to bet with my bookie. My bookie's rep is rock solid. They've got the best odds, contests, and promotions in the business. They're the only place I trust to handle my NBA-related bets. The one sportsbook guaranteed to give me the best lines for the Super Bowl coming up, the playoff games, Premier League, NBA, NHL. They've got it all. You know me, and you know that I don't give out my stamp of approval easily. To earn it, you've got to be the best at what you do. And my bookie is simply the best sportsbook out there, period. It's simple. Sign up, enter the promo code HOOPBALL, and get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Head over to my bookie if you want to add a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. If you don't know exactly what you're doing, perhaps you want a little bit of help, Hit up the HoopBall Gaming account on Twitter. Those guys do a tremendous job. They've got a podcast that's daily. They do an amazing job trying to get you in the win column. Devin is the guy that heads up that department. He knows what he's doing. He's got a great group of guys with him that have all the sports covered. So even if you're someone that knows what you're doing and you want to maybe lean on somebody that's digesting all of this information, breaking down all the stats, hit up those guys at Hoopball Gaming. Head over to my bookie if you want to add a little excitement to the sports you love. Bet with the best. Bet with my bookie. I think this team has the ability to play against so many different types of squads, whether it means starting a guy like Zoo um, when you go to the playoffs and maybe he needs to face off against a guy like Jokic or starting Ibaka at the five, or having guys like Marcus Morris, Kawhi, and PG that can all switch. This Clippers team has so many different ways it can play 
which is so beneficial. And you saw last year, I'm bringing back the Lakers again, when Dwight Howard was inserted into the starting lineup last year in the playoffs, and it helped the Lakers in a way because they needed that big man. I can see Ty Lue doing that with Zoo in a playoff series. It just seems like this team has the ability to play so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, I mean, it's going to be a recipe for success. Right. And so... Like, and even they may need to go small and then they'll just play Marcus Morris at the center. And I think that's one of the best things about Ty Lue is that unlike, unlike Doc Rivers, he's actually willing to go there. Like if, if the situation calls for Marcus Morris at the center, he'll go there. If the situation calls for surge, he'll go there. If the situation calls for a zoo, he'll go there. And that's, and that's one of the things that I was stressing with whoever the Clippers would hire next is that fluidity, that lack of stubbornness, because that adaptability is a signature trait of championship head coaches. You saw it with Frank Vogel last year and Ty Lue. And, and speaking to that, I want to piggyback on what you said. They do have a lot of similarities to what the Lakers did last year. And I, I tweeted it even as the season was going last year I really did appreciate how hard the Lakers went at the regular season and their formula for success was so great like you put the ball in your best player hand in LeBron and you let him make all the plays and you surround him with shooting um and that's just that's just a recipe for success man shooting is the name of the game and if you give your best players a ton of space to create and you empower your playmakers the way that Ty Lue has with Paul George and Kawhi, um, you're going to be very successful. And I think the Clippers have created a team that's playoff friendly and really, and really are, um, they're ready for success. Um, we have to see what happens when that adversity hits. They haven't lost two straight games yet. Um, that'll be that'll be interesting to see once they hit a little bit of adversity. But I do like the skeleton of this team as it pertains to um, title chances. And they look a lot like a team that I like to see when it comes to champions. Because champions are, champions are not made in the playoffs. Champions are made in the regular season. Champions win 60 games in the regular season. Champions don't lose a lot in the regular season. And I think that's the approach that the Clippers are going with in the regular season. And so far, so good. Spot on. Spot on. I think It's one of those things where if you play hard, you're going to end up playing hard when it matters. And if you slack off, then when it matters, it's going to be really difficult to get to that level and sustain it in a seven-game series. So I love what I'm seeing right now. From this team, 16 games in, I think, is a big enough sample size to ask this question. When you look at this Clippers team, there is always talk about where can you upgrade. And they're talking about playmaking. And we were talking about backup point guards before the season even started. And it seems like the Clippers are okay right now in that department. And the big man, I mean, you have Ibaka and Zoo. What do you think the Clippers could still get to improve this roster? What type of player would be ideal to take them even further. I think they could use maybe a little bit more size on the wing, mm-hmm. especially in the second unit. Um, they can get a little bit small when they go to the bench. Um, they kind of, they kind of are one of the things that they did not do very well in the off season was address that. Um, they signed Patrick Patterson to like a $3 million deal. And he's not even in the rotation. And that is a roster spot that's 
not being used. And so I think if you look at their 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 bench, they go um they go Lou Williams, they go Luke Kennard, they go uh Marcus Morris, um, and they go Zoo. That's like they're they're going nine deep now, yeah. but outside there there's no wing on that second unit. And so I think if you look if you look at there, maybe they go they find uh Rondé Hollis Jefferson or something like that. Um, but that I think that's the area that may need improvement. I didn't think they needed improvement playmaking wise last year. I definitely don't think they needed this year. Um, I actually think that quote unquote traditional playmaking may be a bit overrated when it comes to the playoffs. Um, I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but it's it's not as essential as you think when you actually think about it with championship teams. But wing depth is always a good thing. And I think they're a little bit short when it comes to that. And so when you think about where they can improve at, I think that's probably where I would like to see them improve. Yeah, a guy like Danny Green. I mean, there's no way the 76ers give him up. But a guy like Danny Green, I think, would make a lot of sense with this team. Someone that can stretch the floor shoot the three ball, um, unlikely. But I, I think you bring up a really good point. In the playoffs, you're going to want the ball in PG and Kawhi's hands as much as possible. So a playmaking, I think that makes a lot of sense. I want to quickly well, t- go ahead. Oh, oh, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, I think they address their playmaking in a very creative way. Instead of getting one singular big addition, they just empowered Kawhi and PG to basically be the LeBron of the of the Clippers and let them make all the plays and then let Nicholas Batum chip in here and there and let um Luke Kennard chip in here and there with playmaking and let Lou Williams pick chip in. So they don't have one great playmaker, but they have a ton of good ones. And all of that together more than answers the playmaking bell because in the playoffs it's not a lot of quote-unquote playmaking going on anyway. You need your best players to make shots and just make the pass, have enough juice to make the necessary pass when they're being double-teamed. That's really all you need out of your playmaking, and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can definitely do that. You don't need a maestro playmaker. You need your best players to be able to score efficiently when it matters and make the right pass, make the right read when it matters. And I think the Clippers have that. Yeah. And you look at Paul George. I mean, last year he averaged just under four assists per game at 3.9. This season he's up to five and a half. And in the last two weeks, it's at 6.3. So when you have him and Kawhi that are able to be the facilitators that they are, it it really does help the team. So you bring up a good point there. I want to quickly touch on last night's game and then look ahead to tomorrow. Um, The Clippers last night, PG, Kawhi, 60 points between them. And then you look, you got Ibaka, 17, Batum, 14. It it really seems that this team, night to night, just is so damn consistent. And the bench unit didn't have a guy that was scoring 10 or more. It doesn't worry you at all, right, that Lou Williams is not the guy he was last year? No, um, not at all. So... It, it it worries me a little just because that is a rotation spot. And if you get to the playoffs and Lou Williams just hasn't been good, um, that's one less potential player that you can count on. And then your bench starts to get uncomfortably small as far as like who to who can you actually put on the floor and be confident in come playoff time. It's a little too early for that. I think still it's still kind of early um, and it's kind of worrisome that he hasn't found his mojo. But um, I actually think kind of um, reducing his role a bit is a good thing. 
it's a good thing and i'm i i think when you empower lou i mean excuse me when you empower paul george and Kawhi leonard and nicholas batum to make plays that kind of takes the ball out of lou williams hand so he's not gonna be as prominent and that's gonna lead to a reduction in impact but i still think that guy is there he's still getting downhill and making plays um, it's just not as prominent as it was last year. And I, I, I still do believe in his ability to be an impactful and important player for this team, even if it's not in the same large role that we've been accustomed to the last couple of years with him. Um, but yeah, it's a little worrisome from the standpoint of that, but it's still too early to jump off the bandwagon with Lou. Um, I still I still believe in him to be a productive player for us. Like I said, it may not be in the large, grandiose role that he's enjoyed, but he's still a plus playmaker, and that's still going to be something that we may need. And I think one of the things that this roster has allowed us to do is say that if Lou Williams doesn't have it in, like, game two of a playoff series, we can sit him, and we can allow Luke Kennard to make it. And if it's not Luke Kennard's night, we allow Lou Williams to um, be, be, be that guy for us. So I like that duality there. Um, who knows if Lou Williams is even on the team by the playoffs? I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if that's even going to be the case, but for now, I think, um, he's still someone that I believe in. I still believe in his playmaking juice. And I think it's a little too premature to like say that he's just off. Um, he's playing in a reduced role. So that, that has to be accounted for, but this reduced role may be what's most conducive for, for a championship team when it comes to Lou Williams being on it. Yeah. I mean, look last year, I mean, Lou Williams was always on the floor in the final six, seven minutes of the game. It didn't matter what was happening. He was always on the floor. And now he played 20 minutes last night and he did have eight assists. So that that is something you want to see from a guy that's going to be your point guard off the bench. And First of all, congratulations to Nick Batum, who just goes out and has a baby and comes back and goes four of four from deep and he adds in a steal in two blocks. I mean, we've talked about this at nauseum this season that he is leaps and bounds better than what anybody expected and what they're getting out of him right now. 33 minutes per game. I would have never thought that was possible when they signed him. So you add in a guy like Batum and then Marcus Morris coming off the bench, which I thought that he made more sense coming off the bench, and I was curious to see what was going to happen there. And th- this team, man, is deadly. Which do you prefer, by the way? Batum starting, or would you rather see Batum come off the bench? Because I think right now we're seeing that it just makes more sense to keep Batum in the starting lineup. Well, if this version of Nicholas Batum is going to be was going to be what the Clippers got, I think it's a no-brainer that he's a starter. He's a better player. This version of Nicholas Batum is a better player than Marcus Morris, and you want to start your best players. I don't care that one is making the vet minimum and the other is making like signed a sixty-four million dollar deal. Um, Nicholas Batum was someone that was not pegged to do this, and if he's going to be this good, then yeah, I definitely prefer um, him starting. And he's just blunt. I didn't expect this at all. I I kind of thought he was kind of washed, man. And like, not only is he not washed, he's been one of the more impactful players in the league. And he's turned into another wing. Not only is he making threes, he's playmaking. He's guarded all five positions on multiple occasions this year. Um, just a delight. He's been the clutch player for us, making key threes. I, I, I've run out of things to say about Nicholas Batum. Um, 
I, I, this is actually unbelievable and an unbelievable job by the front office to actually identify him as someone that could potentially help us because I'm sure nobody saw that coming. And, um, the fact that he's been this good just speaks volumes to, um, on the margin signings that can help you in the long run, because that's what wins championships other than having top end talent. It's having players on the margins that play their contracts and Nicholas Batum is definitely doing that yeah this front office has been unbelievable I mean really has been it's amazing what they've done they bring in Ibaka they bring in Batum and they bring in Kennard that I mean that Kennard Shamit deal the fact the Clippers got four second round picks in addition to Kennard um, for trading with Sham, it's just silly. I mean, it sucks to see Shamit not be the player that we were hoping he would be. And even Kennard last night was one of seven, 0 for five from three, but you see the process there. So it's the process, I think, is what the key thing is here with the Clippers team. You look at yesterday, and their biggest plus minus was Pat Bev. Pat Bev had one point. It just shows you that all the that he's doing all the little things. Eight rebounds last night with an unbelievable offensive rebound where he stormed in front of a guy from the right wing all the way to the left wing to get a rebound. Two assists, three steals. I mean, all the Clippers right now, it seems like they're buying in. I think that's the biggest thing, Justin. They are 100% buying in. And you're getting, you're getting a team that has the personalities to um, assimilate. And they're... Some guys like to stand out, but this is a um, this is a team full of individuals that want to assimilate. And it seems to me that they want to be a part of something that's greater than themselves. Unlike last year, where the personality of the team was a bit different um, and that bleeds onto the floor. And you're seeing that. So you look at the last four games, the Clippers beat Sacramento by 38. They beat Indiana by 33. They beat Sacramento by 19. You beat Oklahoma City by 14. You're expecting the same tomorrow against Oklahoma City. You expect them to win by 14, 15, or more. Um, but then I got to ask you a really important question. Are you going to be okay on Tuesday? Uh, I mean, are you going to be okay when the Clippers <laughs> face off against Trey Young? Uh, uh, I hope... Uh, <laughs> I, I, that's going to be a tough one. I hope he scores a hundred and, and, and we win. That's, that's, that's really what I hope. Um, I'm not going to be okay, man. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be watching that game intently. And you know, the Hawks are starting to play some ball, man. They, uh, they had a little rough stretch. Um, Trey Young had a little rough stretch, but yesterday he came through with like 40 points in like 27 minutes. So he find it seems like he's finding his mojo again. You know, the Hawks are six in the East. Um, they're starting to play well. The Clippers are first in the West. So I'm living good over here, man. I'm living good. My teams on both coasts are doing well. Oh, man. Yeah, Trey started off, man. He was bad. And there was questions about that locker room with him and Collins. And you just had no idea what was going on there. So I, I know you're happy to see your boy back into good form. And this is going to be a difficult road trip. I mean, I, I, I said before that they have some easy games coming up. Oklahoma City, obviously, is easy. At Atlanta, at Miami, at Orlando, at New York, at Brooklyn, and at Cleveland. Kind of a tough road trip. I know you you don't love to do these types of things, but six games, four and two, is that reasonable to come out of there? Well, yeah, it, it's 100% reasonable. And I listen, I, I'm of the belief that no game, no game in the NBA is easy, especially on the road. It may end up lopsided from a score point, score wise, but like no game is ever easy. And on any given night, any any team can play exceptionally well. They're NBA players, so and then you then you add the fact that you're on the road. So like this six game road trip is gonna be tough. 
And um, this team has outperformed their expectations all year. Um, so I'm anticipating them doing well. I'm anticipating them doing well, but um, that road trip is going to be tough. Um, that's going to be that's going to be a tough one. Um, if they go four and two, that's exceptional. Um, if they go five and one or six and zero, oh, I, I would love that. Um, I, I think they have that. I think they have that capability. I think they have that potential. It probably won't go that way just because of the randomness of the NBA, but they have that potential. And more than anything, I just hope they stay healthy and and safe, like and COVID free. Because once you start traveling and you get to these cities that aren't as stringent on COVID rules as Los Angeles, it gets to, it gets potentially tough. So I hope they stay healthy. Um, I got them as four and two. I hope they do better than that, maybe five and one. But we'll see. You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say the key is on this road trip is to avoid the COVID, uh, avoid getting COVID and be safe and come back. And we're going to be hearing a lot more of you. It's been two months since we heard you, but we're going to be having you on the podcast a lot more. Justin, always a blast. We can find you at LA Clippers film. Anything else that you want to promote? Um, not at the moment, maybe by seasons in working on some few things, a little premature to announce, but, uh, working on some things and, um, yeah, let's, the Clippers have taken us on a great ride so far and I hope it never ends. Or if it does end, it ends with us hoisting the Larry O'Brien, but, one step at a time. We got the Thunder again on Sunday, and um, I've said this. I've said this to um, my Clipper group chat. I said this to uh, my my friends. Being a champion is not about being a champion in the playoffs. It's taking every game seriously. We got the Thunder on Sunday. Got to win that one. Yes. Got to win that one. No slip ups. Um, be a champion every single game, and that's how you. That's how you put out great process, and that's how you be more successful in the playoffs. So. Looking forward to Sunday. Agreed. Justin, thanks for the time as always. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, I thought that was one of our best podcasts that we've ever done. I I hope you think the same because that was one where we hit on everything going on with the Clippers and came at it from a different angle pretty much every single time. So I thought that was really good. Hope you enjoyed that. Justin is a guy that we're going to have on this podcast a lot more. I love having him on. He brings on some great insight to this incredible podcast that continues to grow. If you like it, please share it with your friends, your Clippers friends, basketball friends, rate and review the podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Review it as well. It does always help this podcast grow. Retweet it. If you follow me on Twitter, at BDMarcus, the Hoopball Clips Twitter account is at Hoopball Clips. So just continue to share this one, trying to grow us as much as possible. And before we say goodbye, Got to tell you about our friends over at Manscaped. Support for this Hoopball Clippers podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Big news, Manscaped just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over and at all times. Who knew smelling this good could feel this good too? I got to tell you something. I'm always trying to find this cologne that works, that smells good. Right now, this signature scent introduces a light citrus burst before settling in to the anchoring notes of just a woodsy, masculine finish. 50 milliliter spray cologne is even hypoallergenic, cruelty-free, dye-free, 100% vegan. I want you to have it. Manscaped continues to put together a formula that is the complement to the collection. Light, approachable 
gentlemanly in all the right ways. Think of it as your wingman for the night to keep you free and fresh and ready for anything. Now, you can use the new Manscaped Refined Cologne to complete your set and smell great anytime, anywhere, feel sexy wherever you go. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20. Look good, smell good, feel good with Manscaped. All right, coming up, the Clippers take on Oklahoma City on Sunday. Then, that aforementioned road trip at Atlanta, at Miami, Orlando, New York, Brooklyn, and Cleveland. It's a six-game road trip. You would like to see the team come out at least 4-2. and two. If they come out of that one 5-1, and one, this team is the real deal. I think they're the real deal anyways, but this team has the ability to knock off Orlando, Atlanta, Cleveland, New York. The tough games, I think, will be Brooklyn and Miami, but those are games that I think you can take one of. We'll see how the Clippers do. Brooklyn, by the way, not playing very well at the moment. Cleveland just took them apart the last couple days, so we'll see how the Clippers do against Kyrie, Harden, and KD. I appreciate you always listening to the podcast. Until next time, I'm Brandon Marcus, and go Clips! This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.